Hi, and welcome to the Inspired Jewish Woman podcast. I absolutely love and value that you are here with us right now, and I hope you will hear something on today's episode that will touch your heart and soul in a beautiful way. Enjoy the podcast. I'm Eve Levy, and we are back for another installment of our weekly interview with empowered Jewish women from all over the U.S. and beyond. So today we have a very special guest, Becky Tahel Ben David, or Ben David. He's Israeli, so I feel like I have to say it like the Israeli way. So nice to have you here all the way from Los Angeles, which is kind of cool because we're on the same time zone and we're recording at night. Usually it's like so weird with all the time zones. This is a gift. And you got your baby to sleep. You have a small window to give us some of your pearls of wisdom. We want to know who you are, what like empowers you, how you feel about being a Jewish woman. Where should we even jump in? Let me give a little bio, a little intro to Becky. So Becky is Israeli born. Her and her husband have a content company, a media company, right? You create, you write. I know that you have videos that have been seen over 30 million times, 30 million views on your content. That is huge. And one of Becky's goals in life is to be a light in the world. So I think you and I, we have a lot in common over here. That is my goal. And we all do it in different ways. And I love that we're having this conversation over here because I can already feel the light like emanating from your screen over there. When Becky came on with her cool head wrap, I was like, let's just talk about how you tie your hair so beautiful. (laughs) I just love it. You are beautiful through and through. And I'm excited to learn a little bit more about you today. So tell us a little bit about yourself your journey, what brought you here. That was such a beautiful introduction. Please be my PR team. It is an honor. I love that we do this. I love that as like, you know, holy sisters and Jewish women that we are in dialogue with each other. I think that is my favorite part about reconnecting with my Jewish sisters as of the last 10 years or so. As you mentioned, I was born in Israel and to a really strong Moroccan mom who was raised religiously and was like the rebel and decided, oh, that's not for me. So when we moved to Philadelphia, I was raised without a lot of religious practice, but a lot of connection to Hashem. That Tibalev, like they're religious in their heart. No matter how far they try to go, they are so strong. I hope my mom sees this and goes, that I have. As much as we like, you know, sometimes she'll be like, I don't, I don't need that, or I don't do that. And we totally hold space for each other, regardless of how differently we see the very same wisdom tradition that we're a part of. And like, that's what makes our relationship so strong that she will totally agree with that. She's so connected and growing up in that way where I felt it, but I didn't necessarily have a sort of like, this is what you do formula of practice. When I moved to LA to be an actor and to write and to produce, I kind of lost myself. Like being an actor, you have a script, you have your stage director, you know exactly what you're doing. It's all scripted. It's very formulaic. And it's all laid out for you. But that isn't how life was. And I got very, very confused, especially in LA, where it was just all about people pleasing and trying to kind of climb up the ladder. And it's who you know. And about, I think it was 25 or 26 when my sister, my baby sister, my best friend, I so admire her. She's going to become a doctor, still is now. She's a psychiatrist. Then she was in med school. 
got engaged to a non-practicing Jew who just very deeply connected, felt so wrong. And I told her that, again, being raised with very strong women who often butted heads, we held space for each other and we had that dialogue. And I told her, sis, this feels wrong. And we explored that in dialogue in front of the camera. And that became my first documentary, which is actually coming out this year. It's called American Birth. And it starts out exploring interfaith marriage and has many pivots and turns and naturally found many twists and turns in the journey of answering that question. Why marry Jewish? Should I marry Jewish? And it led me back to Israel, led me back home, led me back to the tradition that my mom left. And so many times I feel my grandmother and grandfather, my Moroccan roots, kind of like, you know, I don't know if my grandmother were alive today to say, I see you, I feel you, I know why you need that and you want that and you thrive in that structure and system. But anyway, all of that to say that I could just imagine that your grandparents are pulling strings up in heaven, right? Mm -hmm. Making things happen, right? Moving worlds, right? They're not sitting down, just they're fighting for you. Clearly there was that that ava, that help from above. Oh, I just got chills. Thank you for reminding me of that because it's not easy. The journey Mm -hmm. isn't easy. And not just Jewishly, I would say professionally, my journey wasn't and isn't easy. As soon as I started the documentary, I started getting a lot of opportunity in Hollywood. And I think that's what happens too when you start kind of sinking and aligning with truth. Mm. Suddenly everything changes and everything started to change. I got an incredible job working for a big production company. I got awesome opportunities. I met my husband. All the things happened. And I remember on early days of my journey, I found out about the mikvah. And I was like, this is magic. This is so interesting. I I was raised to see religiosity as a sort of stripped of spirituality, very cut and dry, very black and white. And so much of what I was learning was so opposite. It was so ethereal and enigmatic and spiritual and connective and like mysterious and beautiful. And I had a lot of questions trying to like understand and reconcile why I didn't get that growing up. Like, why didn't I know that this existed? And I was a little angry at first. Like, why didn't anyone tell me this? Because I probably would have spent far less time bumping into things in Hollywood and probably would have made different choices. All of it led me to where I am today. I have no regrets, but still I was angry. Just talking about that anger, there's a famous Israeli actor from many years ago, Uri Zohar. I'm sure you've heard of him. Yes, I've heard of him. Very famous. And he became a Balchuva and he wrote many books and he's produced a lot also. You'd probably connect to him. His mission became to be a light and to take his learnings and to bring it forward. He wrote this book called My Friends, We Were Robbed. And he spoke about the pain of growing up in Israel and not even being given the opportunity to know his own heritage. It's frustrating. Like you're in Israel, like you're like so close to the source of everything. And yet, unfortunately, so many people are robbed of the experience. So that was what you experienced. I love knowing that I'm not alone. I also hate knowing that I'm not the only one because there's so many of us. And, you know, since again, pivoting onto that journey and learning and soaking it up and finding language around it to share with others and meeting my husband and hosting Shabbat dinners together for our friends. And seeing that, seeing that spark in them and their questions of, wait, this is what this stuff is? Why didn't I ever experience it? And so that inspires me. It's not that anger became inspiration and empowerment that, oh, great, this is an opportunity for me to create in this path, to create stuff here because it's not being shown. And I've been given 
these tools to create content. Like you said, it's not me who put it in front of 30 million eyeballs. It's the master director. And I'm just the producer down here making things happen. So if I'm given these tools, then I should probably use it to continue to inspire people like I was inspired. And so my husband and I launched Manifest Media in March of 2020, where we create conscious content. A lot of it is for the Jewish world. And it just really excites us to be able to empower our brothers and sisters to continue to bring Torah into the mainstream. It kind of boggles our mind. We always joke like, why isn't there a Jewish Deepak Chopra or Eckhart Tolle or Jay Shetty or these names that are these like viral video guru sensations. But what they're saying, while deep and wonderful and shareable, is like not an ounce of the depth that we have in Torah. So it's, again, the frustration and the anger is being turned into this empowering opportunity to create content that unites, that enlightens, and that brings light, like that manna from the sky oh. manifested down here into Malchut to really create a better world. Because that's what we have to do. It's about time. I mean, we're running out of time. <laughs> and as the world is literally turning upside down in the beginning of the pandemic, you and your husband are like establishing your business, going to help Jewish organizations get their content out there, and everything has turned virtual, right? So there's so much opportunity totally. in your line of work. Like this is the new front of outreach. This is how to reach people, right? You're not going to necessarily, even after the pandemic is long over, it's still going to be through videos and through virtual experiences at this point, because the world has changed already too much to turn back the hands of time. Absolutely. And I mean, I love that selfishly from a business perspective. I'm like, yay, we have work. We can do this because I've been singing the song for the last few years saying we have to make content. We have to make content. And back then you know, our Jewish organizations would rather spend money on face-to-face, -face, on other things. There's more important stuff than making a video. Let's be real, right? And that was relevant then, and I get it. But I love that we are now in this place. And I love being able to figure it out because we haven't mastered it. And we are still, you know, educating our fellow brothers and sisters on exactly how to do it and what we want to do. And we're figuring it out. And that's exciting too. That is a part of the wrestling with exactly what those best practices look like on behalf of the Jewish people, because it's not the same as what we found works for other brands. So it's exciting. What are some of the hard parts about being in the worlds of Hollywood? I mean, I have a child that lives in LA and when I go to visit, everything is just in your face. It's a very different vibe to most other cities. You feel Hollywood. If you don't see it on the hilltop, big letters, Hollywood, you just feel it in the air. So how is it for you as a religious woman to walk that walk, to be in that world of actors and videos and movie, the whole industry is, it absorbs into you. It's hard not to let it in. So how do you stay, like, how do you create like a bubble around yourself? You create a bubble around yourself, but you're right. And what you're saying is something I'm still very much acknowledging that exists because I think you have to see it for what it is. And Hollywood, for me, it was a childhood dream. And I think I still sort of want to see it with rose-colored glasses. Mm -hmm. And the longer I'm here, it's been almost 13 years, the more I see it for what it really is. And at the end of the day, we're all people. We're flawed. And a lot of the content that's being created when I read the scripts and I see the actors and I learn about their lifestyles, it no longer became as attractive to me. And I'm not saying that that dream, you know, I threw it away to become a religious woman and now I just do everything. Everything's completely different in my life. 
In fact, I think that's what terrified me in the beginning of my, of my journey, especially when I was in seminary and I had friends that were like, oh, they threw all their passions away. And I don't think you have to do that. I think it's about just finding elevated mm-hmm. reality is like. And to me, it became writing and producing my own content. Because if I was going to be taking a script and auditioning for a role that required me to be a character that I couldn't support just because it was a lovely paycheck and the fame and the riches came with it and whatever it was that fed my ego. Well, if I wasn't going to align with that content, then I had to create my own. And that's, again, where the documentary came in. And that's where a lot of my early writing stuff came in. I wrote several sitcoms and I wrote ideas for characters and sketches and this. And I started becoming really proactive because I figured who else is going to do it? Who's going to write the characters that I want to play? Who's going to write the orthodox woman on TV role? There are wonderful Hollywood writers who are observant, who are writing those things now, but we had to do it. We had to take it onto ourselves. So that is the one aspect is becoming the content creator so that I can be in and a part of the content I wanted to see out there. But the other thing is too, when I was, you know, working for a big production company before I went independently last year, you know, I got married last January. So for the first couple of months before I left, I was covering my hair and my colleagues were like, that's not just a yesterday or a day before thing. Like you're doing this every day. Can you explain this to me? And it wasn't judgmental. And I think I was also blessed to work with people who were open, but they had never seen it. They didn't understand. So I think to be an example and to make it accessible and to make it relatable and to have language to share with them why I do it and to not feel embarrassed and to not feel like it's not authentic. And I had to find that within myself first. Oh, and by the way, not everything I do is where I want it to be. Mm-hmm. And half of the things that I do, I don't have language around. And mm-hmm. I'm also really open about that too. Like, well, this is what I know and I'm still in the discovery. And that also seems to go over really well. So I think it's being proactive being really authentic and like open with why I do the things that I do and constantly being in that bubble. Like you said, like I have my rabbis and I have, you know, my weekly study and I have Shabbat, thank God. And I had to make sure that that was carved out for me in my jobs that I don't produce Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. And that was just a part of my package. And I never had an issue with it. I know some people do, but there's boundaries. I think people are learning to really embrace those. You know, I'm teaching a course right now for the middle school girls here in my city of Portland, Oregon. And right now we're talking about modesty, which Mm. is a heated topic, right? Like you hear about modesty a lot. It's something that even when you say the word, you see like the reaction of the girls. Like, I don't know what lessons they've learned or we have to unteach certain things. So you, a Jewish woman who looks modest to the outside, the way you dress, the way you are, your mannerisms, all of that covering your hair as you became a married woman and taking on that responsibility upon yourself. How is it to walk in an environment that doesn't necessarily value modesty? Like on one hand, it might feel very hard. And on the other hand, I could just imagine you with that cool turban walking down the streets of LA feeling like royalty, like a princess or the words that I'm teaching the girls like dignity internality like you're holding this godliness within you and no one could take that away from you you could be in like the downtown la you know hollywood district and like you know who you are you have your sense of being centered you and god walking in this life together i find that very empowering 
it's beautiful and super empowering. It also requires believing you are princess or royalty. And that was a journey. And that's a journey I'm still on. You know, am I really? Like, why me? I have a big why me complex. No, that can't be. I don't think I walk around feeling like I'm royalty. I'm working on it. I'd love to feel more of that. And every day I get better and better at it. In the beginning, when I first learned about modesty, I remember I was in Israel and I went to Tel Aviv for a meeting. It was an incredible meeting. And I had like a long skirt and a really cool little top with a ruffle and my hair was back. And I felt like Emily in Paris. Like I felt like beautiful and dainty and unlike how I felt when I was in Hollywood auditioning with, you know, tiny tops that didn't feel like me and felt like they were really just sending out the wrong message. And that's not a judgmental thing, right? Like it's not that I'm saying that people who show skin by any stretch of the imagination are bad people or don't value themselves. Like not at all, not at all, at all, at all. But my experience is that in Hollywood, that is the first thing that people saw. It was the first thing that people saw because that's what I was serving them. So my experience was that there's no other place for me to play around with modesty. So when I went to Jerusalem to study, I just took it on like another character at first, right? Oh, let me be the modest version of me. And the more I put it on, the more I just tried it. And it wasn't like, I'm doing it and I will always, you know, cover everything. I wanted to try it. I wanted to see how it felt in my body. And that meeting, walking around and everyone else being in their own world, in their own fashion, in their own style, I felt for the first time like I was aligned with a strong decision that I was making for me. Because again, in Hollywood, it's all about pleasing everybody else. I wore what was required of me. I wore what everyone else, but it wasn't what I wanted to wear. It wasn't what I felt was right for me. That's the constant choice when I wake up in the morning is what feels right for me, not what everyone else is wearing, not what everyone else says is right or cool or in. And you know what? I use this as an example too. There's a really famous pop, I guess she's pop or alternative, but musician, Billie Eilish. Billie Eilish is like massive, like so, so, so popular, 17-year-old girl. And her big thing is, I don't need you to look at my body. She wears really baggy clothes, which created this like massive fashion of like everyone wears hoodies and sweatpants and baggy clothes because it shouldn't be about my body. And like, you know, oh, you gained a little bit of weight or, oh, this looks nice. Or I don't want the good or the bad of it. When the exterior is detracting and taking away all of the, you know, space. If all I see is skin, then it's just really hard to focus. That was my experience. And that's something I continue, I really, really continue to refine and polish within myself and a connection, I think, especially for women that we're going to always sort of work with. Like, what is my fashion today? And it's, it's empowering to figure out, like, what do I want to wear? What feels right? Maybe it's not what it was yesterday. Right. And that's okay. And it's like, who do you want to be? Like, how do you want to represent yourself? Like, you choose that. Like, you get dressed in the morning. Look yourself in the mirror. And if you're good with it, then you go. You know, it's such a personal thing that no yeah. one could really tell you how to feel, how to dress, what to wear. It really has to be that internal check in. Rebbits and Alana Cowland of Jewel and of Aish, she had a wonderful trip that my sister and I went on. And she, I interviewed her and she's in my documentary saying this about modesty, but I asked her about it. And she said, you know, Judaism has a lot to say about our clothing. It's beautiful and it's important, but it's not where we get our value as people. And so when we cover the body, we are releasing the self, the real self. And I felt like that was really powerful at that moment. And still, I wanted to be releasing my true self. I wanted to figure out who the real me was. 
And so that's where I decided, you know what, let me try it. If I cover the body a bit, right, and I take that out of the equation, will I be releasing more of my real self? And I think that's just something that people should try and see how that works for them. That's beautiful. So Becky, what would you say is the thing or some of the things that make you feel like an empowered Jewish woman? I think to me, and I alluded to it earlier where I felt like religiosity growing up was like black or white and really sort of constricted. What I really appreciate in our tradition is that while there is this sort of like highway, the halachic highway, that there's like different lanes and we all find that exact lane. Like, are you going to go a little bit slower and be closer to the right? Are you going to speed up? Whatever it is. And I, I'd always heard that like we each are a letter in the Torah and that we should each find our own. What is that letter? And that is really empowering to me to know that I am a part of this like vast, epic Torah scroll and that my letter is there. Without me, the Torah cannot be. And I am a part of it and it is a part of me. And so that journey is finding the letter, my letter, and no one else can have it. And it is mine and it is unique. And while it fits within the whole, it is, you know, formulaic and rounded, like it is a letter there's structure to it and it is cemented and it is real, I get to find it. And that's exciting because as soon as I think I found my letter, there's like another little edge to it or there's another cool little thing at the top. And yeah, I think that to me is the most empowering part of this journey is finding that letter in the Torah. And as you said, right, without that letter, it's not complete. Like one teeny break in a letter makes the whole Sefer Torah pasul. Like, you know, we can't use it. Right? It, like a forty, fifty thousand dollars Sefer Torah that was just written is not, we can't use it at all until it's fixed. Every letter needs to be there and every person needs to add their part to the world, to the Jewish people. So that is a very, very powerful message and something really I'm hoping that our listeners will walk away with that they have something that the world needs. It's like a puzzle piece or an instrument in a symphony. Like when one instrument is missing, it's just not right. It's so true. And it sounds nice. And sometimes when you're in your lowest moment, you don't believe it or you don't want to believe it. But it's absolutely the truth. It is absolutely the truth. There's never a moment when that letter isn't absolutely necessary. And I love the way that you describe this path, right? This highway, like different lanes, right? We know that the path, or let's say we would call it halacha, which I think you mentioned, Jewish law, right? Halacha, right? So halacha, like the root of it actually means the way, right? It's the way. And I mean, I just feel like your heart being so big for all types of people, because I really believe, and the Torah actually states that there are 70 facets to the Torah, right? Shivim panim la Torah. There are 70 faces and facets and ways of interpreting it and understanding it. And those are all the different highways. The way that I, you know, imagine like the Torah to have so many different lanes, like we're not all supposed to be the same. I think that would be really, really boring. We need movie producers and we need educators and we need all types of people to complete our nation. So, wow. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for bringing in some of these really important concepts. Like it's so interesting that the structure that so many people are almost allergic to is what drew you in. Yeah. It's the structure. It's the boundaries. It's the direction that so many people are like, ah, I can't like so many commandments, but 
that's what really like held you and brought you close to your Judaism. And that's changing today. I think we see a lot of it. If you, you know, social media is all about the memes of this is how you do it. You wake up, you do this, you drink your coffee and you write five things. And so we want formula. Mm -hmm. We're people now that we spent so long just kind of doing whatever and being who we wanted to be. And now I really see this happening a lot and I'm excited to see it happen more that we crave the formula, that we want the truth. We're in the time where people can just say whatever they want really emphatically and, and it sounds like truth and it smells potentially like truth, but it isn't truth. And because of all that falsehood, because of all of the fake news and all the things that have been going on, I think we are really waking up to the need to have true, 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 true leaders. And that's also what I love, love and find super empowering about being a Jewish woman is having these incredible men and women to call. It just like, whoa, if ever I doubt myself and I would joke about this with my friends in Israel, I'm just like, I look at my rabbis and I'm like, if you say so, then okay, because you are the most critically thinking, right? humble, brilliant, expansive. Like real leadership. We don't have that in the larger world out there, right? We do not. It's quite, quite a thing. I so agree. Wow. Well, just to bring this all to a close, because our time is almost coming to an end, and this is sponsored by... My Gift of Mikvah, which is a project of Mikvah USA, which, you know, this organization does incredible things for Jewish women mainly all around the world. But, you know, it trickles down because it has to do when you empower a woman and you help her and you teach her and you educate her and inspire her. It has ripple effects for families and communities. And we're all benefiting from what's going on with Mikvah USA. So I know that in our initial conversation when we met a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned how mikvah was like this beautiful, mystical idea that you just loved. And I'm just envisioning you, this person walking through the streets of Los Angeles. I know what Los Angeles is like. It's like, it's kind of rough. Some communities are rough. And you're just living this beautiful life where you're so, you have this core, you know who you are, and you are practicing this timeless tradition of mikvah. And how is that for you to kind of leave the Hollywood behind and step into this place? It's almost like a hug from God mm. when you go into that water, like everything stops, like time stops. So what is that like for you to take that moment, to take that pause, let go of the craziness of the world all around you and step into that space? Such a great question. And it's such a long answer. Mm. So I'm going to try to keep it a bridge because I love the mikveh, almost like I love Shabbat. Same but different way because yeah. it is another hug and it's another immersing into something that just sort of like strips away all that was and connects you to those that sort of the primordial original waters that flow and, and it's all of that. It's all of that experience for me. But I was blessed with a, a daughter three and a half months ago, wow. also thanks to the mikveh. That's a whole other story, but I swear wow. by it. And that was so magical and beautiful. And it's busy having a newborn and running a production company and... There's a lot. There's a lot that goes on. And I'm a first time mom. And I remember my first mikvah night after my daughter was born, being like, am I going to make it in this and that and praying the entire time leading up and finally, like in a different way, cementing the purpose of mikvah. I was like, this is it. The busier I am and the more overwhelmed I am, the more powerful the mikvah is. The more I see the purpose of anything is the more I am overwhelmed and driving over and just sort of being in my space and with myself and praying for my family, it just took new shape. It was so powerful. It was so incredible. And we're blessed in LA to have two wonderful, wonderful, huge 
glorious, lavish mikvahs. I talk about it often. I talk about it to my friends a little too much. To me, there's a real power, the whole process that the mikvah is a part of. And that is, again, something that was completely lacking for me up until I learned about it and then was able to use it in a really powerful way because we sort of free fall through life and we can if we don't have these built in cosmic windows like Shabbat and, you know, the mikvah every month. And it's, I really don't know where I would be without the ability to cleanse and restart and check in and again, pray in that way. Because prayer also, everything has the ability to become super rote and robotic. But when you have these moments that are just like extra boosts, like the Shabbat or like the mikvah, it's something you just have to try on for size. It's wow. another one of those experiences where I'm a different person when I emerge from the mikvah. I go in one person, I come out completely different. Very, very powerful. It really is. Thank you for leaving us with that. Wow, <laughs> this was so great. It's nice to meet a fellow. Like, I know we're not like together, but I can't wait to meet you one day. It's it feels like we are. We're meeting yeah. somewhere together. Yeah. But there's just so much, there's so much in common. You know, there's so much commonality that Jewish women hold through the traditions, through upholding things, the struggles, the challenges, and the dedication, the resilience that this is important. So I'm going to carve out the time. I'm going to fit it into my life. I'm going to make this amazing. And that's what I feel with you, with your new husband, with your new baby, with your new company. You still take the time to do the things that make you you, that are so, so vital to being a Jewish woman. And I thank you for living your life and sharing it with others so that others hopefully could be inspired and also step into their power. So I really, really hope that whoever is listening just tries it on for size because it's not just words. You know, I wouldn't be taking time. And I don't think you would either, just to speak empty words into the world. It's really powerful. And I think right now is a time where people really are looking for their next level. They're looking to pivot in a direction that's going to take them towards meaning and connection and depth and happiness, like true, true, true happiness. So what's the worst that can happen? Right? I always say that. What's the worst? No one's eating your babies. What's the worst that can happen? I hope that it encourages someone to dive in, so to speak. So amazing. Thank you so, so much. Have a good night. Be well. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for being a part of our community. There is so much more coming your way. Stay tuned and have a great, inspired day.